It's nice to see so many children going out. I didn't realize there were so many. They come in in, in ones past you as I stand there outside, and I wasn't aware there were so many. Otherwise, I would have had a children's talk for them next time, hopefully. Well, let's turn back to that last of the two readings that we had a little earlier, Revelation chapter 21. And I want to focus on verse 5 as we come to this first uh, Lord's Day of a new year. And the words of the Lord Jesus, the one who is seated on the throne, behold, he says, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It's a wonderful chapter, Revelation 21. It brings us to the very pinnacle, the climax, the zenith of God's work of grace in this world. It's done. There is a new heavens and a new earth. Everything has been remade. Everything is pristine and new. Flawless and perfect. It's one of the most wonderful chapters in the whole of God's word. And if ever you're feeling discouraged, and if ever you look at the world and you say, I remember Professor Clement Graham saying this many years ago, after a terrible road accident on the M25 down in Kent, he shook his head and he said to me, it really sometimes makes you wonder what the Lord's at. And we can feel like that, either in our personal lives, our families, our work situation, or in the global perspective. And when we do wonder what God is at, this is the chapter to turn to. This is the goal of everything. And so it's appropriate on this first Sunday of 2024, when the New Year's less than a week old and remains fresh, holding out possibilities of renewal, that we turn to see Christ's agenda of newness. Something powerfully appealing, isn't there, in the idea of something being new and fresh. Advertisers tell us that the use of that little word new, attached to a bottle of shampoo, a breakfast cereal, a kitchen appliance, a car, a house becomes a very effective sales technique. And, and I know that's true, and I'm sure you can share this with me. I remember, I have quite a good memory, I can go back to when I was a little boy, a very long time ago. And I remember being at school, and I'd be coming to the end of an exercise book. Oh, what a mess it was. So much crossings out, so many red marks through it from the teacher, so many bad marks there, blots and smudges, dog-eared pages, and then I would get a new book, a new exercise book. It was absolutely pristine, not a mark. And of course, I promised myself it would stay like that until it was full. Well, not many pages went by before the old reasserted itself. And there was the beginning of confusion, of grubby finger marks and crossings out, and rips and stains. It's always said, isn't it, that the approach of a new year appears to offer us just such 
a fresh start. Of course, we don't know what the year will hold for us, but we feel we want to resolve to make it better than the year before. And of course, there's something of folly and pride in talk of doomed to failure, New Year's resolutions. Yet in them, you know, lies a pale recognition of the fundamental Christian truth that renewal and change for the better lies at the very heart of the gospel. That freshness, that newness can sometimes be resisted. Good number of years ago, I, I came across a photograph and it, it, it amused me tremendously because it was a picture of the interior of a church. And in that church, there was a large banner. And on the banner, there was a picture of a fire burning. And there were these words, come Holy Spirit. Where did they put the banner? immediately above the church fire extinguisher. So this passage that we have in front of us reminds us to welcome the changes that Jesus brings. Now, I preached this sermon last Sunday. It's not new. I preached this sermon last Sunday in Glen Urquhart. And who knows, I might preach it next Sunday in the free north. Don't tell them. But our text reminds us of Christ's ongoing agenda in our personal life, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, and in our world. And that agenda is for revitalizing and renewing change. So let's ask ourselves as we enter this new year, and as you as a congregation enter a vacancy. Are you up for change? Are you open to God making a difference in our lives, in every sphere of our existence? And so to enable us to say an informed and a hearty yes, let's draw some lessons from our text. And the first one is this, that renewal is Christ's sovereign will. Renewal is Christ's sovereign will. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. In every part of our lives, it's all too easy to cling to the familiar and dismiss the new often by claiming that there's nothing new under the sun. But even the most casual reader of the New Testament soon discovers that the Lord Jesus Christ associates himself much more with the new than with the old. Indeed, that is what the old revelation said he would do. Isaiah records God saying, Look, behold, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. 
and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. And then he says, be glad and rejoice in my creation. One of the reasons why Jesus' first hearers responded positively, those who did, was that his teaching was to them a new teaching. It was not like the teaching they had received. It was with the ring of truth, of authenticity and authority. And Jesus said that that new wine had to be stored in new wineskins. And in the upper room, Jesus inaugurated a new sacrament fulfilling and making obsolete the Passover, celebrating the new covenant in his blood. And earlier, he had given his disciples a new commandment. And Paul enthusiastically takes up this new theme. He speaks of a new life in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, and Paul shows us that the very essence of being a Christian is not clinging to the familiar and the old, but a resoluteness to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The writer to the Hebrews sees the new covenant fulfilling and surpassing the old. By his life and death, Christ opened a new and living way. In Revelation, John speaks of a new name, a new covenant, a new song, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, and gives us our text too. Behold, says Jesus, I am making all things new. And these repeated references to newness remind us that as Christ looks deeply into our lives, as he scrutinizes our churches, as he examines our community, he does so with a view to changing them. In our personal life, that newness is the ongoing work of sanctification. Unlike ourselves, so easily pleased, Jesus is insatiable about change. He's never satisfied with us until he finally recreates us in his image. In our church, change is the unfinished work of reformation. The old reformers, Calvin, Luther, and so on, and Knox, they knew that reformation was constant. It wasn't a one-off event. It was an ongoing program. And to express this idea, the Christian Dutch Prime Minister Abraham Kuyper used a little Latin motto to speak of the church's perennial task. He spoke of semper reformanda, always reforming. Then Jesus brings change and newness into our families by fulfilling in each generation his covenant promise. And he constantly upholds and renews this world until the day comes when there is a new heaven 
and a new earth, the home of righteousness. If renewal is as it is, as our text tells us it is, Christ's sovereign will, it must therefore be our will too, as we conform to his purpose and embrace the changes he brings. We fail him when complacency or sentimental prejudices stand in the way. Indeed, it is sheer rebellion against the will of our master to resist his sanctifying influence and to fail to be his faithful witnesses in our contemporary world. Such an attitude misrepresents Christ's sparklingly fresh good news, which brims with new life and refreshing vitality and which makes everything else appear old and tired and dull and uninteresting. I was going to say as stale as yesterday's news, as stale as the Christmas tree 10 days after it's gone up. You're glad to see it go down again. It's a solemn thought that there is every reason to believe that unless we are open to his changing influence in our own lives and in each sphere of our connections, that he may bypass us as he advances his work in the world. The second thing we notice is renewal is Christ's personal commitment. Not only is it his sovereign will, it's his personal commitment. Behold, he says, I am making all things new. I am. Came across the story of a London businessman who put up for sale a warehouse. And the building had been empty for years. The roof leaked. Vandals had damaged the doors, smashed the windows. Graffiti was all over the exterior of the building, rubbish strewn all around the interior. And as he showed a prospective buyer over the property, the owner apologised for the neglect. And he promised to do repairs and clean out the rubbish. But the potential buyer said, don't worry about all that. I plan to totally refurbish the building from top to bottom. Compared with the renovation that Christ has in mind for us, our efforts to improve our own life are as trivial and pointless as sweeping out a derelict building. Not that we don't have a role to play in the changes within our own lives. We most certainly do. But we can't do this without him. When we become Christ's, our old life of spiritual dereliction is over. He comes personally to make all, all things new. Jesus doesn't subcontract his work of changing our lives, renewing our churches and our communities. He does it himself. I am making all things new. And those two emphatic words, I am, are the key here. Now, of course, the book of Revelation is written by John. And there are seven wonderful I am's in John's gospel. 
and they tell us two things. First of all, they hark back to the words by which God introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am. Thus clarifying for us, if there was any doubt, that Jesus truly is God. But they also very emphatically draw attention to Jesus' personal commitment to our renovation. We could render them like this. I, even I, and no other, am. And John collects seven of these I am sayings. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So when he says, I am making all things new, those two little words, I am, affirm his personal commitment as redeemer and renewer of the whole cosmos. So let's, by way of illustration, relate his promise of renewal to one specific area of Christian concern, a concern perhaps many of us in church here this morning have, and that is the conversion of our family and our friends. We're conscious, are we not, of our powerlessness in that regard? And that's one of the reasons why it lodges so much in our minds, and it leads us to ask God to do for us what we can't do ourselves. But do we pray with faith and hope? Or is there something of desperation about our praying? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher in London, once asked a man about his brother's recent conversion. He said, I suppose you were very surprised to see him converted. And the man said, I should have been very surprised if he had not been, because I asked the Lord to convert him. And I kept on praying that he might be converted. And I should have been very surprised if he had not been. That's the right sort of faith to take to God, to ask him to do things for us that we can't do ourselves. So let me say to you, the Lord who makes all things new hears your prayers for your loved ones and your prayers about all your other concerns too. And let this promise of Christ's personal involvement in change, renewal, and regeneration be your comfort and your encouragement throughout this coming year. But perhaps you are the one that Jesus is not yet making new. Then resist no longer. Don't let the days slip by without asking him to start that great and needful work in your own life. Don't passively wait for something to come out of the ether. Engage with God. And if he has begun to make a change in your life, if you are now part of his new creation, if you're on course for the new earth, which is the home of righteousness, then be determined not to resist his call to renewing change 
wherever it comes, but cooperate willingly in this great personal project of his, in the power of his grace. And the third thing we notice before we conclude this morning, this text teaches us that renewal is Christ's agenda for his church. Behold, I am making all things new. He also, he said, write this down. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. That term trustworthy and true crops up from time to time in the book of Revelation. It's a way of underlining what Jesus is saying. This is important. This is crucial. Don't forget it. This affects how you live. So Christ is assuring us of his commitment in an ongoing personal, communal, and global plan of change. He also reminds us that we individually and together have a role to play in bringing that renewal into our own lives, into the lives of others, in the life of the church, in the community in which we live, into the planet. We haven't time to go into this this morning, but this is the, the, the Christian's way in to the challenging questions of the environment and of climate change. And of things like this. This opens the door that we should be exploring. Christ's agenda to make all things new. For us to be involved in his renewing work in our world. That universal renewal that he speaks of. Sets before us a huge cosmic vision. I am making all things new. Write this down. Bear it in mind. Don't forget it. American theological professor called Cornelius Van Til, who lived a, a few decades ago, reminds us of the interconnectedness of everything in our world. He wrote this, the biblical miracles of healing point to the regeneration of all things. The healed souls of men require and will eventually receive healed bodies. Do you get that? Our healed souls don't happily exist in our mortal decaying bodies. They need new bodies. So we believe in the resurrection. And he goes on and he says healed bodies need a healed environment. To the believer, he says, the natural world with all its complexity and challenge leads ever onward to the fullness of the glory of God. For a moment, though, let's focus on the renewal and revival of the church as Christ's main agent to effect change. Today, I suppose most British Christians have at best only a second-hand and perhaps a rather romantic view of renewal and revival and reformation. That comes to us largely through reading what God has done in the past and in other places. No one who was born and lived through 
the 20th century in our land, or who has lived through the first quarter of the 21st century, has any personal experience of national revival. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. That was by far the longest period that Britain has gone through without national spiritual renewal since the days of the Reformation. But I would like to think that we believe revival, renewal, reformation to be so worthwhile and so desirable that we want God to do them again and do them here and do them now. I enjoyed researching the Korean revival when I was preparing the book that we published a couple of years ago. And it was very impressive to see what God did there. And you can read it uh, at the level of an interesting history. But surely as we look around, surely as we look at ourselves, as we look at our own church, as we look at the churches generally, as we see the depressing picture of churches declining and doors being shut and buildings being put up for sale, and we set that against these wonderful accounts of what God has done in the past and those wonderful accounts of what God has done in other places. And don't we just say, Lord, do it again. Do it now. Do it here. What we may very easily overlook in reading about revival is that it can be very challenging, very costly, very disruptive, and very disturbing. Little wonder scripture says it is like childbirth, truly worthwhile, wonderfully rewarding, but very painful too. So often when Christ's renewal comes, it's resisted as unwelcome precisely because it challenges and changes so much of what we take for granted and so much with which we are now very comfortable. Thank you very much. In the very best sense, it radicalizes us. It takes us back to our roots. It reminds us of what we should really be like. takes us back to our roots in God's will and God's word. And when you set aside the excitement and the emotion that you can read about, and which is all too readily taken as the essence of revival, but which in reality is often the froth and the bubble on the surface, what is it that you're left with? If it was a truly revitalizing work of God... If it really was the work of the Spirit, then the answer is new lives, change lives, change churches, change communities. You see, revival is a passing foretaste of the great renewal of all things. Revival isn't the goal of the church any more than the Lord's Supper is the goal of the church. The Lord's Supper is given to us not to satisfy us 
and keep us the way we are, but to sustain us and keep us going in that process of personal renewal and change. And that's the purpose of revival as well. It comes to brighten our vision. It, it comes to clear away the, 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 the rubbish that has got in our paths. And it's to show us that Christ, by his spirit, with his church, is about making all things new. And with a note, we're to write it down. We're to work to that agenda. That promise of ultimate cosmic renewal provides us, as I say, with an agenda for our work in the year ahead. In the, this fresh experience of vacancy that you're going through, and in our mission to the world today. And that kind of agenda that it sets before us is very well summed up by the seven chapter titles of Vaughan Roberts' book, Distinctives, Daring to be Different in an Indifferent World. It was written a few years ago, no, five, six, seven years ago, but it's a, a very helpful book. And these are the chapter headings. We need to be those who are renewed with an eternal perspective in a world that lives for the moment. We need to be those who are committed to service in a world that looks after number one. We need to cultivate a spirit of contentment in a world that never has enough. Purity in a world that's absolutely obsessed with sex. Certainty in a world where everything else is relative. Holiness in a world where anything goes. And wholeheartedness in a world that can't be bothered. I don't think I need to convince you that Christ's agenda is not for us to remain unchanged, pickled in the past, either as individuals, families, or as a congregation. Rather, it is, as you know, to be open to the changes that he has in store for us in this coming year and on into the distant future. Christ's salvation is about much more than our souls. It's to do with the redemption of our bodies, the renewal of society, the restoration of the physical creation. In short, Christianity is about the redemption of the world. Christ must and will make all things new. So let's remember those inspiring words in one of Isaac Watts' carols that we may well have sung over this holiday period, Joy to the World. These two lines are found there. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Isn't that wonderful? The plan of renewal. That's our agenda, to work with Christ. As far as the curse is found, so far his grace is given. How hugely privileged we are to be workers together with him, bringing renewal a touch of the new heavens, a touch of the new earth, wherever we go in his name.
Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we step into another year, help us, we pray, to journey along that path with Jesus. Help us to know him better, to love him more, and to make him better known by yielding our wills to his lordship and our lives to the blessing of others. And we ask these things in his name's sake. Amen. Well, we conclude as we sing from Psalm 19.